Good morning, church. Yeah, I posted, a, you know, I posted, um, I went live on YouTube with my juicer. Did you see that? How many of you saw that? Going live, going live, going live. Are you sure you want to go live? They give you a couple, you know, moments to back out. And I said, yes, for sure. So then I get these comments back. Uh, that's a mighty small juicer. That looks like a little peanut juicer. Yes, compared to Joel's Cummings Diesel, it is a small, it's, a, it's just a little four-banger. It's a little bitty thing. Um, I want to give you, um, I want to give you uh, a second summit commercial before we get into the word. So, because uh, it's, it's my heart, it's my heart that we're constantly kind of meeting you where you're at. And I want you to hear that, uh, is that when I was growing up in church, it was only, um, and this is what was caught, maybe it wasn't taught, but the emphasis was on the ministry. Uh, and so a lot of us felt like we needed to go into the ministry if we were going to be significant in life. Uh, the emphasis was on it's the ministers who are anointed, the ministers who are amazing, the ministers who are powerful, the ministers who have the, uh, the power for the hour, that kind of a thing, right? Uh, and that's, that was kind of the environment of Pentecost as I was growing up. And uh, so if you weren't called to the ministry, so then, you know, everybody wanted to be called to the ministry. Uh, and if you weren't called to the ministry, well, God bless you, go back to your seat. We'll... And uh, so, uh, but I really think that there's been a, a revolution of kingdom wisdom and kingdom revelation coming into the church, helping us. And part of that has been an emphasis and an understanding of an anointing for every person that is in culture that, and, and a revelation that God loves your gifting, God loves your calling, God loves what you're called to, God loves how he wired you, God anoints what he's placed in your heart and in your hand and the passion that you have. And, and if you're thinking it's engineering, if you're thinking it's flight, if you're thinking it's real estate, if you're thinking it's banking and commerce, if you're thinking it's government or education, and you're thinking, well, this ain't much and this is a little thing and, you know, and, and uh, well, I don't know if God would anoint this. Are you kidding me? God? God is so, uh, and he's so excited about that. He's so excited about you. He's so excited about meeting you with revelation and insight and clarity and wisdom and anointing. And, and so this is when we think about this summit, uh, this is why we bring in some of the guests that we do. And this is how we posture ourselves as we pray into this and believe is that you are going to have revelation for your vocation. God is going to meet you so powerfully in this summit to, to encourage and to strengthen and to build up and to just fuel the fire of your passion because he's excited about the way you're wired and the passion that is alive within you. Amen? So that's part of why we just we want to dive in on this. And, and this is really the, the thrust of Johnny and Isla, uh, Elizabeth in so many ways and, and all of these guests coming in. We want to bring in uh, people who understand the heart, the passion of God, and they understand 
uh, the, the ordinary person, the ordinary believer, that God, God is touching, raising up ordinary believers to be super ordinary in their generation. Amen? So, Father, we just pray into this right now. We just agree right now that this is going to be a powerful, powerful time. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to encourage our hearts. We welcome you to come graciously, powerfully, prophetically, richly through the word, through the wisdom, through the education, through the equipping, through, through the worship, supernaturally energize us in this season for what you have put within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, it's so important. Uh, the, um, you know, uh, sometimes you put tags on this stuff and then you, you know, you don't know if it's really clear, but like the marketplace luncheon, it's just for everybody uh, that wants to do more with regard to your vocation or what's in your heart. Uh, so don't think, you know, I'm not in business. I don't think I'll come to that business lunch. Uh, it's really, it's that seven mountain, that seven mountain emphasis that, that, that if you're just saying, you know, I want to do more. I want more influence. I want God to use me in a greater way. This is probably for you. The pastor's luncheon is really for all fivefold ministers or people that are called to do something vocationally in the kingdom. So if it's apostle, prophet, bishop, pastor, leader, teacher, uh, if it's elder, uh, that luncheon is for you, uh, and uh, your heart will be encouraged. Amen? So just uh, know those things uh, and share some of that. Guys can come to the luncheon. Uh, either of those luncheons, you can come to the luncheon without being registered. So if you want to just blow in and uh, enjoy the luncheon, you can do that without registering for the conference. And then today we're opening up uh, the daily, the one-day passes. Uh, we're opening that up today. Many of you know that Friday morning about 4.34, uh, heaven uh, opened up some gates and uh, rejoiced over the welcoming of Papa Ron DeVore. Um, he went into glory Friday morning. And um, we have been so blessed, yes? And Mama Shirley's with us today. Can you just give her uh, a loving shout-out? Yeah. Come on. That's good. Yeah. Amen. Probably one of the greatest privileges that I've had, that we've had, that this church has had, has been the fellowship, the partnership, the association with Ron and Shirley DeVore. And uh, we're so glad for his legacy, uh, glad for the partner that God gave him. And, uh, and just rejoicing. Don't overwhelm or smother her too badly. Uh, but, I'm, you know, I saw many of you hugging her and greeting her as she came in. There will be a memorial coming up in February. Uh, we welcome you to be a part of that. And, um, you know, they, they are rejoicing in that they know where he's at. He's watching us and rejoicing right now. And, uh, and I just can't help that he's passing batons to those who will pick him up. Uh, he probably had more than one baton that he's passing 
to those of us that are still running our race. Amen. So, Father, we just welcome you to brood over the DeVore family. We thank you for the legacy that Papa Ron has left. We thank you for the legacy still residing in Mama Shirley. We thank you for the grace on this family, the grace of blessings. You said that blessings of a generation would go and be passed to a thousand generations. And we just receive goodness right now and uh, the peace, the comfort of the Spirit, the knowing, the knowing of, of Papa's presence and arrival in glory. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, go to Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. We're preaching out of uh, congruent thoughts out of this book, Destined for the Throne. I think we've got about six copies left at the Little Book Center kiosk registration spot for the summit. On your way out, if you don't have one, get one of those last copies. Uh, it will, uh, it'll, it'll put fuel in your tank uh, for, for seeing the Holy Spirit work in mighty, amazing ways in your life and through your life. Amen? So, uh, Destined for the Throne is our theme uh, today, and that's the theme of that particular book that was written years ago with much revelation. Max Lucado um, has said, uh, I think this was written maybe in the 40s, uh, and Max Lucado has said, this is a profound study on the topic of prayer. Uh, Billy Graham has said, every Christian should study this book powerfully and apply its principles to life. So good stuff, amen? We've taken our Daniel fast out of uh, the life of Daniel, chapter 1. We see him engaged in prayer in a particular way. Uh, Again, subsequent chapters, chapter 9, very clearly. Again, uh, embracing a particular uh, set-aside lifestyle for periods of time. We see him engaging in this set-aside behavior, this sanctified lifestyle Uh, really uh, to capture, as it were, the heart of God, seeing something that God has said, something that God desired, something God prophetically declared, something God's ordained for his people, the children of Israel, and and then taking it upon his heart, his lifestyle, uh, a, a prayer, a prayer objective, a prayer lifestyle, a prayer discipline, a prayer behavior for the breakthrough of that thing, believing that God would do something great as he prayed. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1, uh, we're told here, I actually pick it up in verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning or had been fasting for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the three weeks were completed. So we know that, we know moving on into the chapter, we know uh, he was met with angelic presence, a literal appearance, uh, met him at the end of that fast. And uh, we also know by reading through that chapter and getting understanding that 
that the angel says that he was sent, God sent him, he came on account of his words. And from the very moment that he set his face, it's very interesting, from the moment, from the moment that he set his face to appeal to the Father, to appeal to God, and to begin to petition, begin to pray, begin to seek revelation, begin to seek understanding, from the moment he began to pray, Things begin to shift. Things begin to move in the spirit realm. How many of you know things are happening that you can't see? That there's a world that we can't see. Things are happening that we can't see. And and things begin to shift that we don't even see shifting when we begin to pray. And so this this is what happened and then it says that actually that there was some there was a correlation between the 21 days there was a correlation between the 21 days and the shifting and somewhere around the 21st day a victory was won so angelic forces won a victory uh, because it says there in Daniel chapter 10 that the prince of Persia or a first ranking demonic presence was resisting the fulfillment of what God desired, the revelation of what Daniel was seeking. So there was resistance. And the understanding is that as there was persistence by Daniel, as there was persistence by Daniel, as he did not give up, as he continued in prayer, as he continued in this set-aside and this set-apart lifestyle, was three times a day praying and then, and then setting aside things that he was privileged, legally, legally privileged to partake of, yes, the meat, the sweets, and the wine, He set those aside and said, Lord, I want you more. I got to hear from you more. We've got to have a breakthrough. This is more, it's more important that we have a breakthrough with you than it is that I partake of that which is legally mine. I want you more. I want, I want to hear from you more. I want your victory concerning this in a greater manner than I want what would just, what would just feed me. What would satisfy me? This is, there's a metaphor here where we say, Father, your meat is is greater. Remember in John chapter 4, Jesus is ministering to the Samaritan woman at the well around verse 35 and following and, and the disciples, and they're all hungry. They're starved and so they go into town to get some food. They come back with the food and they, you know, they got it in the to-go boxes and Jesus says, no, you don't understand. I've had meat to eat that you know not of. And they're like, what, did somebody feed him while we're gone? How dare they? And they're like, you know, what, what do you mean? And, and, and he says, to do the will of my father is meat. To do the will of my father is meat. And this is part of what Daniel is saying, right? John, Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Wow, this is bread. This is bread. To be partnering with God is bread. To be partnering with God is meat. To be partnering with God is sweet. To be partnering with God is rich and fulfilling. And and you have to know, we have to know that when we're in prayer, when we're in prayer, when we're setting aside time to pray, when we're partnering with God in prayer, that, that we are doing something that is fulfilling, that is rich, that is powerful, that, that, that God is well pleased with. Amen? Oh, my goodness, yes. Holy Spirit, we're so appreciative of this. 
The mystery of prayer. The mystery of prayer. Why in the world does God use prayer? Why is prayer so important? Why is prayer so important? What is this mystery of prayer? God is omniscient. God is, God is all, he, he knows everything that's going on. He knows the future before we get to the future. He's all-powerful. He's sovereign. He could change things if he wanted to. Why has he restricted himself to prayer? Why has he limited his moving in the earth, the engagement with us? Why has he limited what he's up to with prayer? He says, I do nothing unless I show it first to the prophets. And he does nothing aside from us engaging in prayer. Why? Why? What in the world is this, is this all about? This God who is self he doesn't need us. He's self-sufficient. He's self-sufficient, and yet he has deferred, he has limited his involvement to puny man. Isn't that crazy? We're told in Ecclesiastics, or Ezekiel, I'm sorry. We're told in Ezekiel chapter 22, and I'm just going to read. I won't get into the whole story, but Ecclesi- uh, uh, Ezekiel 22 is one of these crazy passages, maybe similar to Daniel, where judgment has per- been pronounced. And there's a similar situation in Joel chapter 2, and it's because of sin. And we see a similar situation with the people of Nineveh, right, and, and Jonah. Uh, uh, sin... And, and apostasy, and abominations, and idolatry, and uncleanness of every kind has been happening in Israel, and with Jerusalem, and with the people of God. And he has Ezekiel announcing the impending judgments. And he's declaring through the prophet the things that are going to come to pass, and the things that will happen. But he begs of them, And he's been begging. If someone would just appeal to me, if someone would just appeal to my mercy, if someone would just begin to humble themselves, come on, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If we would just humble ourselves, right? If we would just humble ourselves, if if there would be just humility somewhere, then these judgments don't have to come to pass. You ever done that with your own children? Send them to your room, and maybe it's spanking time. But really, all you want is a heart change. Really, all you want is humility. Really, all you want is them to acknowledge that they're turning their heart toward right and toward good. And so he's actually appealing to them. It's, it's like a, a precursor to Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask. Ask, and it shall be given. Knock. And the door shall be open to you. Seek and you shall find. Just, just beg of me. Just, just petition me. Just come before me. Just humble yourself. Just acknowledge me. And this is God's appeal that we would be people of prayer. God loves it that we would be people of prayer. That we would, that we would depend on him. That we would look to him. And this is part of this mystery of prayer. And this is what he says In Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30, I searched for a man, verse 30, among them who would build up the wall and who would stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it. 
but I found no one. But I found no one. I think this is, this is the heart cry of God today, is that we see stuff going on. We, you know, Joel mentioned to us just the division in our nation, the division one with another, division in our communities, division race to race, all of this division, all this hating on one another. Father today is looking for someone who will stand in the gap. Someone who will build up the wall of love, build up the wall of truth, and someone who will stand in the gap as an intercessor, one who will stand in prayer, one who will repent on behalf of the sins of our nation, the sins of our fathers, the sins of our communities, the sins of our churches, the sins in our own lives, the sins of our families, and begin out of humility to appeal to God's mercy because he's ordained that where he finds that mercy will triumph over judgment. Mercy. This is what he loves. He loves mercy. And where he finds hearts that appeal to his heart, then mercy triumphs over judgment. And people are spared. People are saved. People are rescued. Illumination comes. Things completely turn around. He invites us to pray. And this invitation This invitation comes out of our union with him, our union with the Christ, our union. We have been brought into a crazy, amazing union with Jesus. He compares it to a marriage. He compares it to a marriage. This is part of why Knowing what God is up to is no longer a secret for those of us that have come to know Father through the Son. It's not a secret because we've been brought near in this mystery of marriage, this mystery of Jesus the groom and the body of Christ, the Christian, the bride. We have been brought near to him and we weren't we weren't, uh, 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 this, this didn't come out of some uh, uh, just legal relationship. It didn't just come with a certificate or a piece of paper. We literally were born out of the side. This marriage was taken out of the side of Christ. Fact is, in Genesis chapter 2, 20 through 23, it says that after all of the animals were created, Father observed there was no suitable helper for Jesus. I mean, for Adam. This is interesting because Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus is the last Adam. Jesus came to start a brand new species of people, a brand new species of humanity. And so we go to Genesis and we see a prefiguring we see a prefiguring of the love and the creation happening right there. Adam is created, but there's no suitable helper. And so Adam is put into a deep sleep and out of his side, out of a rib, Eve is created, the bride, the wife, the companion. And this is what God was doing in Jesus as he hung on that cross. And as that spear went through his side, 
It says that blood and water separated from themselves came out of his side. And out of his pierced side was the body of Christ, the bride of Christ created and brought forth. We were created out of his side. This is an organic creation. We have become unified with the Lord Jesus. And this is the mystery of this marriage. And this is why. This is, this is, this is insight as to the divine relationship of prayer, to the divine relationship of supplication and communion and fellowship and intimacy and that which we have with our Father. Ephesians 5.28, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it. Just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. This is interesting. Jesus left his abode. He left his rightful place with Father that he would come here. And in leaving, it was to cleave to the bride. It was to come and make his abode with us. It was to establish a people that would be near to him, that would be brought out of his side, that would be unified with him, that it would have his heart and his mind. Thus, Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. I'm telling you, that little voice within you is the essence. It's the unction of the Spirit of God within you. Trust him. Lean not on your own understanding, but trust Trust that he's leading you. Trust that he's, he's bringing his witness within your heart. Because you are organically connected to him. Then he says that we've been enthroned with him. So as he was raised up, we were raised up with him. The victorious one, the victorious redeemer, the supreme man, the one who has victory over darkness, over death, hell, and the grave, over sin, over every curse. Jesus has victory over every situation on the planet already. And he shares that victory with us. He shares the keys to that victory with us. He gives the keys to those victories to us who are his bride, who are his church, who are near and dear to him. And there, there's not, I, I'm telling you, um, uh, back to you know, Proverbs 31 the virtuous woman is interesting. You know, it talks about that, that her husband can trust her in all things. There's not a secret he's keeping from you. He, he's not looking to keep secrets from you. He's looking to share his heart fully with you. He's looking to share his heart fully with you. Because he can trust you. He can trust the body of Christ. This is... This is cool stuff. When you come asking, when you come looking for wisdom, you come petitioning him, when you come asking for more of him and more understanding and insight, when you're tapping into him, he's not like holding his cards. He's not like holding back. He is so excited about releasing more to you just as, just as a faithful, just as a loving, just as a kind husband will share all things. Yes? 
Isn't that fun? This mystery is great, but I'm speaking in reference to Christ and the church. We even share in government, the government of the Son, the supreme man, the ruler of all things. 1 Corinthians 6, 2, don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And going on, verse 3, don't you know that we will judge angels? Wow. You know, John said this. John said that it does not appear yet what we shall be. But when we see him, we know this, we will be like him. I, 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 think, that, I, think, we're, I think we're hindered or harmed a little bit by the tangibility of our own vision because we don't realize what manner of men we are. We don't realize... Remember when Paul rebuked the Corinthians at one point and he said, why are you arguing about little things like this? Acting as mere men. Acting as mere men when you are the sons of God. Romans chapter 8 says the earth is groaning for you in your sonship to be revealed. The earth is groaning. The earth is saying, oh, sons of God. See who you are. Sons of God, see who you are. Daughters of God, see who you are. Wow. Second Corinthians chapter 4 says that, that when we gaze on him, when we gaze on him, the more we look at him, the more we need to realize we're becoming like him. He is the mirror image of who we are. James says that his word, that his word defines who he is, and that when we read the word and walk away, don't forget that that's you you just read about. Don't forget in the word that's you you just read about. We have a divine union with him, a divine union with him. What Adam said over Eve. The man said, Genesis chapter 2, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. That was a prefiguring of what God has ordained for us in Christ. We have become one with him. Come on, just lift your hands for a moment. Let that soak in. Take a moment and just let that soak in. Yes, Lord. Lord, we just receive that right now. We receive that we have a divine unity with you. We have a divine unity with you. We have a divine unity with you that we are seated already right now in you in heavenly places. Oh, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Come on, is that good? We have, therefore, become partners with Jesus in redeeming the earth. You're his redemption partner. You know that? You're his redemption partner. The church, the eternal bride, as the redemptive partner in the earth, must learn, and I, I just threw out three things, and I, I want to throw these out at you, that I believe are part of the purpose for prayer. The eternal bride, because we're in, we're in an apprenticeship. We're in OJT, on-the-job training. 
she must learn three things. Submission to her husband. How to live by faith and dependence. And spiritual warfare. This is part of why we have prayer. Why do we have prayer? Why is God subjecting his movement in the earth and things that he's up to, things that he's doing, things he's accomplishing to prayer, to saints praying, to believers praying, to Christians praying? Number one is how we learn submission to our husband. Number two is how we live by faith and dependence. And number three, we're learning spiritual warfare. Submission, let's take that real quick. Prayer is agreement with our husband. Come on, women. Wives, let's talk about how easy that is sometimes. That's real easy. Oh. How come you're not cracking up on that one? If we can get our tongue, if we can get... Now, James says the tongue is the most unruly member of the body. Right? So if we can get our tongue in agreement with our groom, with our husband, then we actually could say we've made him Lord. Not just friend, not just Savior, not just buddy, but Lord, right? So if we pray what he's showing us to pray, if we pray his will, if we declare what he's saying, if we prophesy what he is releasing, if we pray what his word declares then we are working out submission. We're working out submission to our husband. And this is a powerful part of why he's called us to pray and why he loves prayer and why prayer is so important. It's so amazing. Secondly, prayer is how we demonstrate that we're living by faith and living by dependence. Prayer is how we demonstrate that we're living by faith because the natural course of things is to try to do everything in our strength, with our education, with with our background, with our ability, with our talent. And he wants you applying yourself, but if you apply yourself without prayer, if you apply yourself without prayer, that's why he says the horse is made ready for battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. This is why he'll use foolish things like five stones and a slingshot. This is why he'll create miracles and bring forth miracles. Biblically, we see all of these crazy miracles. Second Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat is the king. The armies advance against the children of Israel. A great multitude was coming against them from the east. Jehoshaphat's afraid. He turns his attention to seek the Lord. They proclaim a fast throughout all of Judah. So Judah gathers to seek the Lord for help. Verse 14, then in the midst of the assembly, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah. And he said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. We know what happened. Some of you know what happened. And it says Jehoshaphat bowed his head, and and they worshiped the Lord. In fact, they just offered up this great shout of victory to the Lord, and the instruction was to to prove that the victory belongs to the Lord. 
you're going to send the worshipers out first. Remember this passage? And it's going to be the worship that overwhelms the enemies. The Spirit of God is going to come through the worship, through the praise, the praise team, because the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. This is God showing us that the economy of heaven runs on the dollars of your faith. The PayPal, the PayPal transmission system of the kingdom of heaven for you to make a withdrawal for the bringing forth of a promise, a word, the blessing, the goodness of God, the PayPal system, the transmission system is receiving your faith bucks. It's your faith dollars. It's your faith bucks. This is the economy of the spirit realm. The spirit realm does not exist in a realm where works can make a difference, where the arm of the flesh can make a difference. And part of the apprenticeship of prayer is the Holy Spirit teaching us that your breakthroughs come through prayer. Yes, you make yourself ready. Yes, you make yourself ready. Yes, you do your part, but then engage in prayer. Engage in prayer. Engage in the Spirit. Go before God. Overcome in the spirit realm. Submit yourself to him. Look for his help. Entreat him. Declare what he's declaring. Say what he's saying. Engage yourself in the spirit realm and watch him bring the victory. And this is part of why we pray. Because the more you engage in this realm, guess what? The more victories you get. And the more dependent you get on him, and the less dependent on your brains, on your education, on your skill, on your background, on your resume, on your strength, the size of your biceps, on the car that you're driving. Yeah? The less dependent you get on all of these. Now, it doesn't mean that you throw away the externals. It doesn't mean you despise the externals or make uh, uh, the externals. But it means that you first, yes, put your trust in the Lord. Seek first, yes. And this is part of why we pray. Part of why we pray. Part of why we're called to prayer. And then lastly, spiritual warfare. He calls us to prayer because this is how we walk as those who've been given delegated authority. Delegated authority. He has given his bride delegated authority over all the power of the enemy. Over all the power of the enemy. So Matthew sixteen nineteen. Since he has bound darkness in the heavens, if we will bind darkness on the earth, he will watch over it and see that it's bound. Luke chapter 10, verse 17 and following, the disciples returned after being sent out two by two. They returned with joy and they said, yes, even the demons are subject to us. And they were rejoicing. They were freaking out. They were just going nuts because they saw the demonized set free. They saw people's lives change, right? And he says, yes, I give you. 
power over serpents, scorpions, over all the power of the enemy, and it shall by no means harm you. This is part of why we're engaged in prayer, because we're the ones, we're the ones dismissing the influence of darkness out of our communities, out of our children, out of our families, out of our own lives, out of our churches, out of our nation. If, if we won't engage in these realms of submitting, of spending our faith, of confronting darkness, then God will just wait. He'll just wait. He'll wait for the next generation. He's patient. He's going to have a generation that looks like Jesus. He says the apostolic ministry, that is the fivefold ministry, is actually going to exist until there is a church that has the full stature of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 15. There's going to be a water-walking generation. And you know what? I want to be that generation. I want to be that generation. I want to be that dead-raising generation. I don't want to leave that to another generation. I I want to be that generation. So I want to interact with him in this way. Submitting to him in this marriage relationship, saying what he's saying, not contradicting, spending my faith bucks, Yes, and dismissing the influence of the unclean realm. Let's stand this morning. I want us to close celebrating this unity this morning. I'm going to ask the ushers to come. We're going to receive the elements of communion again this morning. What does communion mean? Common union common union. We have a union with Father through the sacrifice of Jesus. This blood that he shed, it's amazing. From the beginning of time, Father said that it's covenant blood. See, covenants are not made without the shedding of blood. Why are are covenants not made without the shedding of blood? Why is that? Because a covenant means I'm giving up my life for yours. It means I will go to the death for you. We sign covenants today with ink on paper. You might have signed one when you mortgaged your home. You know what mortgage means? Death note. It means that ink represented blood, and you signed on that paper a death note. You said... I will pay you back unto the death. That's what this blood is all about. This blood, in this blood, the shedding of the blood of Jesus. He was giving up his life fully for ours. It was covenant blood. He was writing, he was writing, as it were, with his blood, that the promises of God would now belong to you and to me. He was writing out a contract 
a contract wherein the kindness, the favor, the goodness of God would come upon us who believe. That's what he was doing. That's what he was doing. Can you receive that this morning? That through the blood of Jesus, through his broken body, you've been made one with him. Prayer is a discipline, no doubt about it. But a lot of times, really, the discipline is just enhanced by putting a closure to distraction. When Jesus left the disciples in the garden, Matthew chapter 26, he brought three to the inner court of the garden. And he said, Terry here. He said, Terry here. And when he came back, they were sleeping, and he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh can get distracted. And this is a word for some of us this morning. Sometimes we're working hard, thinking that we've got to work to pray out of discipline, when actually it's just the closure of some distraction. Because your spirit is already willing. Your spirit is already willing to fellowship with the spirit, to hear what he's saying, to say what he's saying, to yield to him, to engage in the realm of faith, to confront and dismiss things that are harming. Your spirit is already willing, but sometimes we just allow too many distractions. And I would encourage you, rather than seeing prayer as some massive discipline for you like a mountain to climb and you got to put on your crampons and get your ice picks and you got to get roped in and this is really hard work just see that it's as simple as dismissing a few distractions it's as simple as dismissing a few distractions because your spirit's already willing but the distractions toward the flesh Keep us disengaged from the most powerful thing we can do. That's pray. And that's pray. Amen? Come on, just begin to pray with me right now, right there where you're at. I invite you to close your eyes, to just focus in for a moment. Just receive the unity that you have with Father through Jesus. The unity of this marriage, the unity of this communion, the unity of the marriage with your groom, the marriage with your husband, the Lord Jesus. Just receive it. Just receive it. Just begin to thank him for it. Thank him for it. Thank him for it. I'm going to open the front after we partake. And and if you raised your hand earlier this morning, you're giving your life back to the Lord, we invite you to partake of these elements, and we invite you to come to the front. I'm going to have some of the prayer team up at the front as we close this morning. Let's not let anything keep us from just an assurance that God is moving in our lives, that we've been forgiven, that we're receiving mercy, that our heart is right with Him, that He's touching us, moving within our lives. Come on, let's take the bread together.
brokenness. That broken body means that he took our place. He took our place on the cross. He took upon him the punishment we deserved. And then take the cup and string it together. It's the cup of a new covenant. The contract written in blood where he's brought us near where we have come out of his side and been made bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. Let's worship together. Altars are open. We're going to worship as we close this morning. Let the Holy Spirit touch your life. Draw near to him. Commit yourself fresh to him. Set your heart aside to him.